Welcome to another edition of the Good Confession podcast, where three pastors and three friends discuss the Good Confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm Jonathan Cruz. I pastor Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We're a member church of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which is true of all of our congregations that are represented here. Uh, the OPC does not stand for the only perfect church or the only pure church. Uh, we are the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and we're Orthodox because we have an Orthodox right and true confession. Uh, we're talking about that today. We're talking about the Confession of Faith and its doctrine of providence in Chapter 5. Here to help me, as always, is Shane Bennett up in Grand Rapids. How's it going, Shane? Going well. We just received uh, two three new members one of which was an adult baptism and we're set to receive two more uh next sunday oh congrats that's awesome yeah we we had a, a adult uh baptism not too long ago at the at the end of 2020 which was super encouraging for the whole congregation when you Absolutely. see the lord working in people's lives at every stage we also have andrew miller with us who ministers in virginia he's been there for in fredericksburg for seven eight years is that right andrew yeah about that it's yeah, been a while and, and but but now in, in a new home, in a new office, home, home study, we're, we're uh, talking That's about from right. Yeah. How's that going? It's going well. I was thinking, I think all three of us have moved in the last year and a half. Um, starting That's with right. moving up to the Michigan. And That's true. Jonathan well, moved and then I moved. Yeah, yeah, you and I moved within weeks of each other. We're competing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're glad that we can uh, be together in our new homes and uh, talk about the Doctrine of Providence. I think Andrew's going to kick off our discussion. So, Andrew, you want to uh, read for our listeners uh, what the Confession has to say about Providence? Absolutely. I mean, what a wonderful thing to study uh, and timely as well, as always. Uh, providence of God. So we're on Chapter 5 of the Westminster Confession, and it starts out in Section 1. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, expose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Uh, wow, it's hard to add anything to those majestic words, but uh, we want to we want to unfold it a little bit, explain it, give the sense, like in Nehemiah, you know, trying to explain what the scriptures say. Um, Jonathan and Shane, uh, this is saying that God is the great creator. We've already covered that. And what does our great creator do in providence? Well, so when we talk about providence, we're talking about God's involvement in creation. Uh, particularly what this doctrine is doing is guarding against this idea uh, uh, of uh, theism that God created the world or he, he wound it up like a clock and then he just let it go, uh, that he's no longer involved in the world, that he's, he's not active in the world. Uh, but rather, the scriptures affirm the opposite, that God is active and intimately involved with creation uh, that he has created. And that's what providence is talking about, is that everything that takes place in this world, uh, God's hand is involved with in some ways. Uh, he preserves all things. He upholds uh, all things. Uh, you know, you, I, I think of um, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, verse 17, which is a great text for the creation text and understanding Christ in relation to creation. But it also says, uh, and he, meaning Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
which means right now the very world is being held together because of Christ. If he, if he didn't exist, the world itself uh, would no longer exist. Uh, the providence of God uh, wouldn't be applicable to us. So, you know, it, we see this doctrine unfold uh, all throughout the scriptures and places uh, where it tells us, you know, the sparrow does not fall to the ground without the knowledge of the heavenly father. Uh, the hairs of our head are numbered. Uh, he owns the cattle of a thousand hills, uh, Job chapter 12. All of these things uh, uh, just remind us and tell us that God is actively involved in the creation uh, that he has created. Right. We, we don't, we don't believe in, uh, or we're not deists, right? Yes. Thank you. I said the, deists. I meant deists. Right. Yeah. No, like the clock making God, right. Who just winds it up and lets it go. Uh, and I, I really like, I love the, the idea that he governs all things from the greatest, even to the least, which is really comforting, uh, for, for people like us who are the least, <laughs> uh, you know, we're not important. We're, you know, uh, we, we're not going to make any kind of big impact on the world uh, stage. Right. And yet God is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. And this right. is true for all of his creatures. The Heidelberg Catechism has a, has a great question and answer on providence. I guess we could look at that. But I was actually thinking of their question and answer number one, which talks about providence in there. Um, what's your only comfort in life and in death that, that I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior um, and Lord Jesus Christ. And it talks about how not even a hair can fall from my head without his will and his his determination. So that that's providence, right? That something even as insignificant as our hair um, falling out is is part of of God's plan and part of of his big picture uh, work in the world. Mm. I, yeah, that's a great introduction to how practical this is. Um, and I think it's important as well that he. It, it, it says his most wise and holy providence, mm. you know, that when things come about in our life and in our world, we trust that God is the most wise and he's holy that, you know, Romans eight, it, it all turns out for our good and his glory. It's not, uh, God isn't figuring things out as he goes along as the open theist would say. Um, but he is, has put things into place that are most wise and holy. And that, that's, Hard and important for us when things are are suffering, you know, if you have a disability or whatever it is, it that's a really important thing. Shane, did you want to well, add to that? I was just going to say that's that's a great point, Andrew, because it, it's one of these things that like God is not like us, where when we come to a fork in a road uh, or a decision about one way going one way or the other, and we don't know what's down it, God Himself does. He has perfect knowledge in that, and so. Um, whenever we go down a road that we didn't want to go down or that we weren't expecting to go down, someone dies in our family or, or a, a, a child is injured and it reshapes your whole life. I, I mean, this is God in his most wise and providence allowing these things to happen. And oftentimes it is these moments of suffering that we go through that you can look back on later, years later, uh, sometimes a whole lifetime later and say, now I see what God was doing there. Uh, that I didn't understand at the time, but he was, he had his hand involved in it the whole time uh, in his wisdom and his holiness. And in fact, uh, I'm noticing this at the end of this particular section. Uh, I've been struck by how often the, the confession is repeating the phrase about he's doing all these things for his own glory. Uh, we saw this in creation. We're seeing it in providence. We see it uh, 
up through the first three sections, I think every section talks about the glory of God and how these things are all working uh, to his, his glorious end that he has, which must be a truly uh, fantastic end. That's right. And, you know, you can see these things in scripture. In Sunday school, we have been going through Second Kings, and it's striking in those narratives where you see the nations being changed, you know, Syria, uh, Israel, the, the rulers, the greatest, so to speak, are, are affected, but also God cares for the least, you know, axe head, the floating axe head incident, you know, God is governing all these things and is helping his people and watching over them. And he knows all things. He's never surprised. It says, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. Uh, Jonathan, uh, why is it important that God's counsel and will is immutable? And what does that um, mean? Immutable means it doesn't mutate, doesn't change, right? It's unchangeable. Uh, it's free also uh, in the sense that um, it's not co- his, his decisions aren't coerced from an outside force. Um, and so both of these things are, are again, we saw this in um, chapter four when it talked about um, uh, in creation, we saw this in chapter four when we were talking about what it meant that the world was created ex nihilo, out of nothing. And we said that if there was something outside of God or before God, then he wouldn't be God. That's the same takeaway from this language here of free and immutable. Um, if God uh, felt compelled to, to um, destine the world in any which way, well, then he's not God. He doesn't have control. If his, if his will is changed based on circumstance or you know, the will or um, uh, the will of man or the reaction of, of human beings to his uh, course of action. And then he thinks, oh, well, they didn't like that. I guess we got to go back to the drawing board is those are the kinds of things we as pastors do all the time, right? We make decisions and, oh, that didn't go over so well. Maybe we need to rethink that. If that was how God <laughs> worked with the world, then again, he would not be God. So this is just underscoring the fact that he's overall, he's above all, and he is sovereign. Yeah, and, and his will's not going to change either that uh, you don't have to sit there. He loves me. He loves me not. You know, uh, he's wed himself to us and uh, we can depend on that. He's faithful to do what he's promised. Um, well, you know, it ends here as Shane was already talking about the doxology, the praise of the glory of God's wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. You know, you could think about Ephesians 1 with that beginning talking about God's predestination to the praise of his glorious grace. But let's move on to section two, which explains a little bit more about God's providence. It says, although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, yet by the same providence, he ordereth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. And I'm going to read section three, too, just because I think it fits as well. Uh, it says, God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means, yet is free to work without above and against them at his pleasure. So this is saying God uh, is the first cause. All things come to, to be by what God says, uh, but it's talking about how he orders these things to come about. And so what is it saying here, Shane, about uh God bringing things to be. Well, I, I think it's helpful for us to um, consider that term means. Uh, means are the method or the mode or what is used to accomplish something. 
so for example, I just use a crude illustration here, but uh, if I need to get a nail into the wall to hang a picture on it, uh, the means that I use to accomplish that would be a hammer. Uh, according to this section, the, we would talk about that as a secondary cause. Uh, I'm the primary cause as the person holding the hammer, uh, but the secondary cause is the actual hammer itself that is, is driving the nail in. Now, I'm free, even as our confession says, to not use those particular means. Uh, I could drive it in with my own hand, uh, would be very painful, uh, not designed to do so. But really, I, I mean, I'm, I'm giving, as I said, it's a crude illustration because I'm using it from a human perspective. Uh, we're not inanimate objects, uh, but rather this, the reality that God often accomplishes his will through means other than his direct intervention. Uh, it means, you know, when, when God brings new life into men and women, uh, drawing them unto himself, uh, surely he uses the means of his word going full power. He uses the means of the Holy Spirit, uh, but he also uses the means of individuals who've been praying for that person or the means of uh, uh, them, their car breaking down in front of a church on a Sunday and them coming to worship. Uh, he uses very plain things uh, to accomplish his will. And the confession talks about the means under three categories of uh, the, how they fall out necessarily freely or contingently mm. um the idea there is just that there's um different categories of second causes a necessary second cause but but god stands behind all of them that's important to say that's what they are second causes so obviously he has the first cause stands behind everything but a necessary second cause would be something like the sun rising um it just has to happen because that's how god has ordained it to be um uh, uh, a free second cause would be you know well you choosing to to hang a picture on the wall and wanting to put the nail in the, in the wall. Nobody forced you to do it, Shane, right? right. Nobody forced you to, to pick that uh, meticulous, beautiful outfit that you're wearing or, or mine. Um, that's a free, a free second cause. A contingent one would be, you know, maybe when I discipline my son, he cries um, in, in response. Um, he cries because I disciplined him. So there was, there's, it's contingent upon my discipline that he would cry. But behind all of these things is God's um, ordaining um, these things to come to pass. And I, I love that you use the analogy there of, um, you know, for necessary um, means. So, for example, the sun rising, uh, because the very next section, it says in his ordinary providence, he makes use of means like the sun rising every day. It's something that we can count on. It's something certain. And yet he is free uh, to work without, above or against them at his pleasure. So, for right. example, uh, whenever uh, Joshua was uh, uh, caused the sun to stop. Uh, right. Yeah. Day. Um, he, God was actually exercised. It wasn't Joshua who caused it, uh, but God paused the sun for Joshua and the battle. Um, it, it's an example of him working above uh, those means that are very ordinary. Right. That's that section three. We could just classify as miracles would be a, a word for that. Right. When God works um, above uh, and against nature, I guess we could say. Yeah. God. God can work miraculously, but this is powerful and talking about how God works in our world. And I think we can take away just the joy that God does work in our world. He's, like you said, he's not just uh, a God who creates and then lets go and doesn't interact with us. He's personal. He's involved. And as we saw in creation, the spirits hovering over the tohu vavohu, the formless and void um, that was there. So 
God is involved with us, and that is a great comfort to us, as Jonathan was saying with the Heidelberg Catechism, you know, God's providence has a lot of practical implications. Um, you know, God doesn't just foreknow things. He doesn't just uh, foreknow them in the sense that he knows what's going to happen and he reacts to it, but foreknowledge is, you know, foreknow to, it, there's an intimacy in that word, that it's a for choosing, for loving. Um, so that God has his decrees, brings things about uh, through me most often. Yeah. Uh, probably a good place to stop. Do you guys have any final words? No, I think. We, uh, close for today? No, I love being able to, to conclude it there in, in the idea of basking in, in the glories of, of God's person and work. Mm, uh, and, and thank you for bringing that out, Andrew. Well, thank you guys. And thank you for listening. Uh, we Look forward to continuing our study of the Westminster Confession of Faith next time as we continue to go through God's providence in chapter five. So we're signing off for now and see you next time. Now, one question about that last section. Mm. I got a text that came in. And I was looking down and I looked up and you guys were like, Jonathan, Jonathan. I was like, I hope Andrew didn't say this. <laughs> so uh, I'm guessing it, it was, I didn't repeat him. No, <laughs> I don't think you did. You were, you were your own distinct flavor and flair. Good. That's what I'm always after.